0: Well, good morning, New Life Calling Atta. So excited to be here this morning. I always say that, but it truly is exciting to open the Word of God, to consider and come expectant for what it is that He might say to us as we come and we wrestle and we consider the scriptures He has. So, that being said, if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and open them up to the book of Numbers. We're going to start in chapter 6 and in verse verse 22. Um, But if you haven't met me before, my name is David, and I get the joy of being one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and Gather. And if you haven't met me before, there's a good chance that that's because you're here for the first time. And I want to let you know, as Scott said before, you've come on such a special Sunday to join us. You see, at the beginning or towards the beginning of each year, uh, New Life as a Family takes a day out to anoint the church as we step into uh, an act of faithfulness and obedience before God to receive and believe what He's given and called us to as a people. Practically, perhaps you ask, well, what does this look like? What does it mean? Well, at the front here, we're going to have three stations. And towards the end of the service, you and your families will come forward, and we're going to uh, put some oils, anoint your head with some oil. Uh, we're going to uh, speak a blessing out of Scripture over you, and then we're going to pray for and with you. And so it's going to be really exciting. Perhaps in this room, you wonder, where did we get this magic oil from that makes anointing so special? Uh, I actually don't know, but I assume it was Colesport, and uh, uh, it's from the non-magical section. So... Uh, aisle seven. So yeah, if you know your coals, that's not a very magical aisle. And so it's just regular oil. So what is it that makes this special? In the Old Testament, the idea of anointing was used uh, for people and for things to set them apart, to consecrate them, to, to make them holy before the Lord for a particular purpose or calling. And so we believe as God's holy people in Jesus, We have been set apart. We have been made holy. We have been called to a special calling and a special purpose. And so when we're being anointed, much in the way when we get baptized, when we take communion, it's not that the thing itself is this magical, powerful force. It's the act of obedience in our hearts as we come with a posture that says, I'm here to believe that the word of God is true and that the source of all of my anointing, the source of all of my blessing in life is God and God alone. So super special Sunday. So glad you're here. If you're just visiting, I want to invite you to join in this. Don't feel like, oh, this isn't my church. I can't. No, please come and join. And if today you make the decision for the first time to follow Jesus, then please join as well. We're so excited to have you here today. The blessing from the Old Testament we're going to be using is from the book of Numbers, and it's called the Aaronic Blessing. And uh, all week there's been this joke that's like, don't get it confused with the ironic blessing. When I practiced it, I made that joke and thought, no one's going to laugh. And sure enough, here we are. So um, (laughs) why don't we turn to number six and give it a read? It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine his, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Would you join with me in prayer? Holy Jesus, we thank you so much that you are present, active, alive, doing something special in this room this morning. We thank you, God, that you are in love and you love deeply each of us in this room, that there's no limitation. There's no someone in this room perhaps isn't quite as loved. There's nothing like that because that's not the kind of God you are, but you lavish and you pour out your kindness and your love to each of us. We pray today, Father, we may step into a confidence that you are a God who blesses your people and that we are a people who are exclusively blessed and blessed only because of who you are, God, and how you bless us. I pray that today you would work by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we would come expectant and believing to encounter and meet you today. Jesus, you are good. You are faithful. And in your mighty, beautiful, and perfect name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You ever find yourself uh, in a moment where you think to yourself, wow, times have changed? You know what I mean? Those kind of moments where you go, wow, this no longer flies. I can't say this thing anymore. I remember uh, growing up, I thought Harry Potter was the coolest thing since sliced bread. Uh, in fact, I'm going to say this. It was the coolest thing since sliced bread, and I stand by that. But, but I, it was so popular and so cool when I was a kid that, you know, I think it was Universal Studios had a theme park, and it was failing. And, uh, you know, with Disney World and all those, it was failing. They opened up a Harry Potter world, and overnight became the most, most successful theme park in the world, and Disney World itself was shocked. It, the world went Harry Potter crazy, right? And I, thinking, I remember thinking as a kid, well, this will never change it's amazing. And uh, a few years ago, I found out it had changed. Harry Potter is no longer cool. Very sad. I remember growing up, uh, <laughs> I remember growing up the, um, when my parents bought uh, phones for the first time, and they bought the most advanced phones they could buy. And my uh, father bought a Sony Ericsson, and my mum bought a BlackBerry. And both of them were like, yeah, these are the phones of the future. And, well, we know how that one turned out. I... Uh, I remember when I moved to Australia, and they didn't have it in England, or at least they never mentioned it there, but when I moved to Australia, and the paleo diet was a thing, and uh, people were talking about it like it was a really good thing, and people should do it, and now we look back and cringe and think, wow, we should never have done that. Um, you know, it's crazy how things grow old. It's, qu- it's crazy how quickly things change, how culture changes, how times shift, how our interests change, how the reasons we do things the ways, uh, and the ways we do things change. And yet for three and a half thousand years, in spite of numerous other scriptures, in spite of numerous beautiful other blessings, in spite of uh, a spread across continents, persecutions, exoduses, uh, heavy oppression, in spite of the changings of times, of empires, of cultures, in in spite of uh, revolutions in sciences and the arts. For three and a half thousand years, this blessing, the Aaronic blessing, has never grown old to the Jews. And to this day, they still do it. You know, for two thousand years, the Christian faith has made this blessing a part of its service, a part of the way we bless in fact, it was considered a benediction, a way we end and send people that they may know who their God is and from whom the source of their blessings flow. What is it about this blessing, about this piece of scripture that is so rich and so rife with meaning that it unlike everything else in the world, it just doesn't seem to go out of date? My hope for today is that we may engage this scripture We might reflect on this scripture uh, and we may leave and we may actually come and be anointed knowing that this wasn't just a scripture written by a God to a different religion, to a different people of a different continent and culture and time. and, and, And think, man, I hope it applies to me, but I don't really see how. My hope is that we may see the rich heritage in this scripture and how richly, deeply and more applicable it is to us today because of Jesus. So let's dig in. Verse, 20, uh, verse 22. I keep going to say verse 20, 22, and that's a year's worth of training right there. So verse 22, uh, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Israelites say to them, I don't know about you, but I'm a question asker. I read scriptures and I can't help but ask questions. So I'm like reading this and I'm like, Why is God talking to Moses, right? Why this guy of all the people? Why does he have to tell Aaron and his sons to do it? And why do Aaron and his sons have to say God's going to bless them? Why doesn't God just, you know, bless them and then no one has to say anything? Like what's going on here? And so there's a helpful uh, biblical tip I'm going to throw out for free this morning. Uh, If you're ever confused and have questions, try and read more. Because more often than not, we'll find the answers to most of our questions uh, in the context uh, of the larger scope of Scripture that we're reading. And so I went back and I decided to not just start at the end of chapter 6, but actually have a look through the book of Numbers at what had happened so far. And what had happened so far in this book is that God had called a particular group of Israelites aside. And he had asked them to live in such a unique way that all the other Israelites would look to them and they would see the beautiful meaning of what it is to partner with and image God. And they would be reminded that their God is good. And then they would choose to return in faithfulness. And then actually the scriptures press on and they go on to actually God saying, now it's not just this pe- group of people, the Levites, doing this for Israel. But actually, Israel, I want as a nation you to do this for the world. And so the whole world would be blessed when they look at Israel and see something peculiar Something beautiful, something unique, something holy about they w- the way they live and do relationship with God. And this idea, this idea of, of partnering, of, of imaging, it's actually got a phrase, a word in Scripture. And the word is priesthood. I don't know if you've heard it before. Um, I sure have. But when you say the word to me, what, uh, the first thought I have is the Catholic Church in the Old Testament, right? It's not really a word I think of as the large overarching theme of Scripture, And yet, if we don't understand the concept of priesthood, the great big narrative of Scripture loses some of the depth and beauty of its meaning. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, God starts creating everything, and He designs this beautiful world teeming with life and order and abundant in prosperity and joy and hope, and he, He describes it as a garden where things flourish and are pruned and are exactly where they should be. And he says it's good. And in that garden, he makes human beings. And it says he makes them in his image. And what that tells us is that imaging God is part of the very fabric of who we human beings are in the design God had for us. Right at the beginning. And then he invites them to partner with him. To join alongside with him. To go with him as he reveals his will and his goodness. To the world, as he reveals how he wants things to flourish and, 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 and grow and prosper in this garden. And so he invites the, these people, these human beings, to image and to partner with him. Except for humans didn't make very good partners. Friends, I want to let you know a secret humans can make sucky partners at times, it's just a fact. You see, something happened in this garden, humans got distracted. Humans started seeing their own wants, their own ambitions, their own insecurities, their own fears. And instead of partnering with the God of the universe, they actually chose to partner with rebellion and selfishness and the rejection of God. And so the following, uh, from chapter 3 to 11, the following few chapters of Scripture describe what it looked like for an untamed humanity to press on in their rebellion with God. And the story gets bleak. I don't know if you've read Genesis 3 to 11, but the story gets bleak. It gets dark. There is despair and hopelessness and horrible situations happening. And God has to go to quite extreme measures to preserve and protect humanity through it. Because unchecked, the partnership of humans with the rebellion leads to one thing and one thing only. And that's uh, universal communal destruction. It hurts one another to the point that we can't grow and love and live and thrive. And on the back of this destruction, the back of this, of this um, period of text, right off the back of it, God steps back on the stage. And he invites a person and his family, his children and his children's chari- children to return to partnering with him to return to imaging him, to return to walking with him, to walking in step and trusting, even when it doesn't make a lot of sense at times. And, And this person and his family sure enough do. And they begin a very long history together with God of of trying really hard to agree and faithfully image God and partner with Him in His world. And I don't know if you've read much of the Bible, but I'm just going to let you in. Humans still make sucky partners. Like, it didn't matter how hard they tried. Over and over and over again, these people kept stuffing it and failing it. But what we notice of God is that God didn't stop fighting for them, forgiving them, and partnering with them. And it's this beautiful tale, but this is priesthood. Priesthood is human beings, human beings entering the eternal call of God to partner, to partner in his good purposes, to delight in his love and his presence, and to trust in his way and his power, to partner, to delight. And to trust God in such a way that all the people in the world around us might look at us as, we priest, as, as priests image and partner and delight and trust in God. And they may openly wonder perhaps the way of God might be more beautiful, more wonderful, more beneficial than the way that they followed up until this stage. And they may go, perhaps, just maybe, the God who made us and loves us and knows us, partnership with him might be better for me and my world than short-sighted, self-centered, insecure partnership with my rebellion and my fear. And this thing called repentance, this thing called turning to God happens and a world may be blessed by a priestly people. So this is a beautiful call. And as God is inviting his people at the beginning of Numbers how to do this, what we see is, is these people are sitting at the bottom of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And they've actually just been freshly delivered from generational oppression in the form of slavery. Well, let me put this in other words. They have been freshly taken out of a situation where somebody else has unchecked partnership with their rebellion. And it has caused them and their children and their parents and their grandparents immense amounts of pain, and God pulls them out of this hurt and says, my children, I love you. Do you know that? Come walk with me. Hey, you've seen what it looks like to be hurt by a partnership with rebellion, by being a priest uh, to oneself, I guess. Instead of that, would you come and partner with me? Would you show the world how beautiful we leave it when you let me guide your steps? And this is the beautiful invitation of God to his people. And then this prayer, this blessing steps into the scene. And this is what God says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So when we look back, we see this history going on, this depth, this context there. And we look back and we see that God is helping a people relearn what it means to to be his, to be his people, to be his image, to be his partners, to be his friends. And so what does God teach? Friends, what does God teach you? How does he teach it in this section? Does he say you must be perfect and achieve my standard without failing? If you falter for a second, you're out and I'm done with you. You've got to have a certain ability for reading my very complicated at times scripture. And you had better not stop praying for a second or it's over. Is that what he says? And yet something in our heart seems to accuse God of this consistently. What he actually says is, hey, would you be willing to let me be the source of your blessings? Because don't we know that if we truly viewed God as the source of our blessings, then whatever it is over here that seems alluring, we're not going to see it as blessing. We're going to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to turn to him. I'm going to release the tight hold I have on this because I want to tightly hold on to my God because he is the one who blesses. He is the one in whom I'm okay. He is the one to whom my soul is safe. And so to him, I lay my soul down. And so in this blessing, I love the way it starts. Can I just point out the way it starts? Moses, the Lord says to Moses, go and tell Aaron and go and tell Aaron's sons to go and tell the Israelites that this is how I'm going to bless them. Right? It sounds like a really weird, um, you know, soap opera, you know, you know, so-and-so told so-and-so. But he says, go and do this. And then the first line of this is, the Lord is the one who does the blessing. Aaron, go and bless them. Now, let me make this clear. I'm doing the blessing. Or in other words, this. Aaron might bring the blessing, but it's God who does the blessing. Aaron might come and speak the blessing, but it's only God who can bring and do and act the blessing. Friends, today we're going to invite you forward to be prayed with, uh, to pray with us, to be anointed and have a blessing spoken over you. You might come to me, and I'm very sorry if you do. I probably have terrible breath. You might come to Scott. You might come to Katie. You might come to any one of us, but let me tell you this up front. We're just bringing in obedience the word of God. It is God with the power by his spirit to make a difference, to do something stunning in our lives. I love how God starts with that. But what does it mean, the Lord bless you? The word bless, quite literally, means to adore or to esteem or to build up. So in other words, what it's saying is, I, the Lord, I choose, I consider you someone I want to build up, someone I want to esteem, somebody I adore door. Do you sometimes feel too small to notice? Do you sometimes think about God and have a similar mindset to King David? Do you sometimes have that where you go, who who am I that, God, you would think of me? No way, I'm going to shield my face and hide. There's no way you're considering me right Right? And in and, and, and what we see in scripture, and particularly in the New Testament, in Ephesians two seven, is that it couldn't be further from the truth. The blessing of the Lord is that he looks upon you, adores you, sees you, and wants to build you up. Ephesians two seven, it says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, friends, do you know that God wants to dance with you in eternity? Do you know that God wants to pour out in Christ his goodness in kind acts and his grace to you forever? That is the agenda of God. Not only does he see you, not only does he adore you and want to build you up, he has an eternity lined up of actually lavishing love in relationship on you. And the second thing is this. Well, if he chooses to adore us, it makes sense that he would and keep us. And keep us. This word keep quite literally means to, to protect or to treasure. And so it makes sense that if God is going to adore and build us up, he's going to treasure us and protect us. Friends, I know sometimes what it feels like in life. I personally know that sometimes I feel like I'm clinging so tightly to a railing, so tightly to a railing. And I'm so scared that if I let go, I'll be lost and I won't be able. I'm not in safe hands if I'm not clinging with my own hands. And friends, what God says, and we see it in the New Testament, he says, not only in Romans eight twenty eight, paraphrase, not only do I know how to protect you, but I know how to take the hurts and the pains and the wounds that broken people bring at you. I know how to take all of those and turn them into something beautiful. I know how to stand for you and defend you against spiritual forces and against hurts and against pains that are coming against you. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, he promises to guard us. So we got a God who sees us and adores us, who builds us up. We have a God who, who, who defends and protects us. We also have a God who therefore makes his face shine upon us. What does that mean? Now, the idea of light coming, if you, if you go back to Genesis 1, it's actually this story of darkness receding. It's, it's, it's as the light comes, anything dark seems to go away, right? And then that is the, we know that science, like light is the absence of darkness, darkness the absence of light, right? And so when light comes, darkness flees. And this is what God's promising. Let me, let me shine my face on you. Let me turn my beautiful light towards you. And as I do so, the oppression, the addictions, the deceptions that have such a tight hold on your heart, as my light hits them, they will cling less tightly. They will have less of a hold. Friends, in the New Testament, he actually opens the gospel by giving this light a name. In, one, uh, in John chapter 1 to 5, 1, 1 to 5, it says, in the beginning was the word. And in this word, it goes on to describe later on is Jesus. And it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him, Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And hear it, my friends, the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, the darkness cannot overcome it. It threw everything it had, and in hindsight, the battle was over, and darkness did not win. When the light shines his face uh, upon us, when God shines his light upon us, it's not just him saying, hey, guys, you know, this is something nice, and it feels warm, and maybe darkness will be less strong. It's a guarantee of a victory won at a cross, and, and, and resurrection following it in Jesus. And so not only Is our God promising in this section, and there are six blessings, not only is God promising to adore and build us up, not only is God promising in this section to treasure and protect us, not only is God in this section standing for us in such a way that the darkness is less of a hold in our lives, he's also going to be gracious to you. And as he chooses to adore us and bless us, as he defends us, he knocks back the darkness, he shows grace and empathy and undeserved Favor. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I question whether my failures and my apathy and my emotional disconnect have been the last push. And God just says, no, you, you're a bit too far gone. No, you, I, 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 I don't know if I know how to love you anymore. You've kind of taken me for a ride a bit too far. I just don't know if the, if the grace is enough sometimes. And then we read the New Testament. Ephesians 1.7 promises that he is rich, abundant, in all the grace needed to redeem and forgive us. Rich means that, means that there's no lack. Rich means that he has more than enough. What a relief. He promises in Ephesians 4, 6 and 2 Corinthians twelve nine that his grace pours spiritual gifts into our lives and is sufficient in our weakness to carry us through to his calling in our lives. In the fifth blessing, he, it says the Lord turns his face towards you. Lord turns his face towards you. You ever sat with someone with coffee or like hung with someone and they've been on their phone the whole time? And you're like, you're here, but you're not really here. This idea of turning one's face towards you is probably more obvious today in the age of phones and probably all of history. It's this idea of not only is God in your presence because he's all present, but actually he turns his face towards you. His attention is yours. You don't have to fight for it. He looks at you and he loves you. In the New Testament, uh, in James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. My friends, when you gave your life to Jesus, when you said, Jesus, I'm yours, let me tell you what happened. God drew near to you. It says in Matthew uh, 28, 20, that Jesus, he'll be with us to the end of the age. And that age was the church age and we're still in it. So unless Jesus is a liar, he's still with us today. And I'm gonna tell you this, he's not. And it says in Hebrews 13, five, a a copy from, I think, Leviticus or uh, from Deuteronomy, he will never leave us nor forsake us. This is the guarantee we have in Jesus that he turns his attention towards us and it isn't about to get bored. He doesn't have ADD. And sixth and finally, and give you peace. He brings peace. Shalom, not just the absence of conflict, but that Hebrew spiritual word that means total and complete, internal, interpersonal, and eternal peace. It is this over and abundant and beautiful blessing between our, our own internal self each other and us and God. Why else do you think in the New Testament, most letters open up with a reminder and a guarantee and a promise that that peace is still real and it's still true for us? Why do you think, I think it's in, I read it down, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, um, um, God uh, is described as the Lord of peace, the one who pours it out in all situations that we may have total peace. My friends, this blessing is beautiful. Or in other words, what it means to be God's people What God teaches it means to be his people is that we are a people who are holistically cared for. We are the object of his affection and and he is the source of complete blessing for each of us. He knows our needs and he knows how to care for us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you You know, the Jewish people, they call this the priestly blessing. And in 1 Peter 2, 9, um, God actually takes us, ordinary people in this room, who aren't very special sometimes, right? We're just ordinary people. And he says, you, my friends, you are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. It's not just a theme that was for, you know, Catholics and Old Testament people. Priesthood is central to Scripture, and today we're a part of it as we partner and image God to the world by being confident that he alone is the source of all of our blessings. I hope you noticed in the scripture breakdown I just did then how the Old Testament and how Jesus not only takes the blessings God has made and keeps them as true for us today, but for each and every blessing, he made it more beautiful and more wonderful to us today. You see, when we read the, the, the prayer of Numbers, we're not just speaking an Old Testament uh, blessing over you. We are speaking it with reference to Scripture after Scripture after Scripture in the New Testament where Christ reaffirms and guarantees that this blessing is still a blessing today, that each of us can receive rich and eternal promises from. Do you know today that we, New Life Gather, are the primary way the world, the Kulang, in the world the that gather will know that God is real? Do you know that we are the primary way that God is planning to use to show that he is a good God and to show that his ways are worth trusting? It is us, the priesthood of believers, standing together and saying, I'm going to partner a little bit less with my rebellion and a lot more with God and let him be my delight, him be my partner and him be the one I trust. And I'm gonna let the world see what a beautiful reality that brings. You know, as we come to the end here, what we see in the scripture is this repetition. There's two things that are repeated over and over and over again. The first is that three times it says the Lord. And the word the Lord is Yahweh. And what it means is I am who I am. I am faithfully myself. It is God's name for himself. And he gave it as confidence so that nobody in the world could guess that God would be a changing or chopping and shifting God. But we could trust him. And so when he says, if, he, if ever he said that his people are a people he blesses and keeps, we could be confident that he is still the God who blesses and keeps his people. If ever he says he is going to shine his light on his people and be gracious to them, my friends, you can be trusting, you can be certain today he is still a God who is shining his light upon us and being gracious towards us. And if ever he says he is giving us his attention and bringing peace to us, we can be sure that because he is the Lord, he is still that today. That is our certainty. And the second thing we notice in repetition is the word you. Friends, you know that God is moving towards you today. Do you know he's moving towards you in peace and in blessings and in good things? Would you join with me as we pray? Holy Jesus, I thank you so much that that's who you are. I thank you that your scriptures are rich and your promises are true. And that your blessings were not an old-timey, Old Testament kind of thing. But they're a personal and real and powerful, a very true reality for everyone in this room who knows you as Christ, knows you as King, knows you as Lord, knows you as Savior. I thank you, my God, that more than ever you filled us by your Spirit. You are close to us right now. And I just pray, Lord, that we may be totally transformed and touched by that reality. Holy God, in this room, I pray that if there are people in this room who have a blockage and a a hardness towards the idea of you blessing them, they're too afraid to trust, it's too hard to believe, I pray by your Holy Spirit you would remind them that your scripture is true and that these are not just a one-time scripture taken out of context. This is a theme that is threaded through the whole Bible. This is your promise, and your promise is true, and you are a God of your word. And Lord, if there are people in this room perhaps who don't know you, who have never made a decision before to follow you, but have heard of you today, God, as a beautiful and loving God. Perhaps even for the first time, a God who blesses and isn't just angry and looking to squash and tell us off and spoil our fun, but a God who cares, who deeply cares, who intervenes for blessing. I pray today you'll be stirring in their hearts, even right now, to make a decision to turn towards you to cease partnering with rebellion and insecurity and fear and instead choose to partner with a God of love and kindness and peace. Jesus, we thank you that your blood is enough and that we are forgiven. And in your mighty and perfect name we pray.